When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to talk about the Cardinals all night long. Welcome into what should be our last trade deadline special episode of Meet Me at Mutual. Daniel Shopdaw here, obviously. Um, I've got a couple of connections, I guess you will say. We're talking the Baltimore trade of Jack Flaherty with uh, Derek Arnold from the Utah Street Report. First part of this of this show. And then on the back half, we've got Tyler Zickel, who is the voice of the single A uh, Vancouver Canadians. Uh, so we're talking a lot about Matt Swanson there as those two trades happened, you know, after the other one. So get a little bit of a feel for what these guys are like from the people that have seen them. So uh, hope you enjoy. Welcome into a special Meet Me at Mutual. Uh, I'm, of course, Daniel Shoptaw, C70 at the bat, at C70. But joining me today uh, to talk about the trade, to Jack Flaherty trade at Baltimore, is Derek Arnold from Utah Street Report. Uh, Derek, how are you today? I'm doing well, Dan. Nice to talk to you. It is good. And um, I want to, let's just jump right into this. And, and from a Baltimore Orioles perspective, it kind of kind of like the Cardinals. This is a different trading deadline than you're kind of used to, right? But on your side, y'all were buyers for the first time in a little while. Yeah. Um, last year, they sold a little bit. Um, the Orioles traded away fan favorite Trey Mancini. Um, you guys have probably seen him because he's been on the Cubs. And they mm-hmm. traded away really good relief pitcher, Jorge Lopez. Um, both those guys have sort of fallen off over the last year. Um, there was a lot of fans pretty upset about it. At the time, um, it's pretty much worked out in the Orioles' favor. Um, but now, yeah, the uh, the front office was sort of expected to bolster, hopefully, the rotation and the bullpen at this trade deadline. Uh, Oriole fans are sort of lukewarm on what they did. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm happy to talk about Jack Flaherty, who's certainly the prize of uh, their deadline. Yeah, because, I mean, you got down to, you know, I know Cardinals fan on the other side, too, you know, it gets down to, like, the last five minutes. Was there a little bit of a panic that, that something wasn't going to get done at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know how it is. Orioles Twitter was about to burn itself to the ground at about <laughs> 440, or I, I guess 545 my time the other day, 445 yeah. your time. <laughs> well, so, so when the trade's announced, uh, of course, it always is the the person leaving out is, is known first. So you hear you're getting Jack Flaherty. What were your first thoughts? So I'm not extremely familiar with Jack Flaherty. I remember, um, I guess, before the COVID year, 2019, he had a really good mm-hmm. year as a very young pitcher, um, doing well. I know that many Orioles fans were looking at St. Louis for more of a Jordan Montgomery, and we were pretty bummed when he went to Texas. Um, I guess it was a few days before that. Mm-hmm not only because that meant that we weren't going to get him, but Texas is obviously uh, stocking up for a big October push. And that's not something that the Orioles front office or fans are really used to 
having to worry about other teams doing, but now we are. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Flaherty, you hear that he's had his injuries lately uh, over the last couple seasons that have sort of set him back. So we don't really know what we're what we're getting. You look at his numbers; uh, it looks like his his BABIP is ex- extremely high, like three three forty five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, three forty five. So I guess the hope is that his last several starts in July, which have all been better than earlier in the year, is sort of the, the way he's trending. I suppose that's what Mike Elias was looking at. And uh, yeah, like I'm just excited to hear what someone who has actually watched those starts has to say. Well, I mean, there, I mean, there's no doubt that every Cardinal pitcher this year has been hurt by a defense that's not necessarily up to snuff, um, given probably uh, outside looking in might seem surprising. You know, you've got gold glovers on the corners and stuff like that. But between the shift change going away and other issues, plus a little bit of sacrifice for uh, offense and defensive spots, um, you know, it hasn't been quite as strong. And so I, there's a little bit of that probably in, in Jack Flaherty's background. Um, he has at times been a little bit inconsistent too. Um, you know, you can go follow up a, a really strong outing with an outing that's less so. Um, but he's, he's a very, he's a competitor. There's no doubt about it. I think he'll be, I think he'll be really probably invigorated probably a little bit by coming to a, a different organization. I know that's going to be tough on him to make that change, but being back in a pennant race and, and like you said, 2019 showed what he could do at the, the height of his powers. And he was never going to do that again because that's, you know, he had a under two ERA for the whole second half. It was Bob Gibson like, um, but um, you know, I, I think that he's definitely an asset, you know, is he a number one starter? Like we thought he was going to be probably not, but is he a, a two? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's definitely a, a help for anybody trying to make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, if that's what he ends up being, I think, We'll be ecstatic about that. Um, I look at his innings pitched as he's up to over 109 this year, and he hasn't gone over 80 in any season since 2019. So that gives me a little mm-hmm. bit of pause because sort of the reason the Orioles needed to do this is because they are desperate at this point for innings to even finish the season, yeah. uh, let, a, let alone looking ahead to uh, a potential October run. They have several starters who are, either just did pass their career high in innings pitched or they're going to uh, in their next several starts. So we're sort of curious to see if they move to maybe a six-man rotation, uh, if they they just sent Tyler Wells down to double-A to sort of deload his arm for a bit. He had been one of their best starters in the first half, and he's blown past his career innings um, maximum. So that's sort of, you know, we're just sort of, waiting to see what the plan is as far as putting in Flaherty. Is he just going to straight up replace Wells as Wells going to come back and the, um, sort of spread out the load on six arms? Um, I would like to think that something like that is in store, and that could also help a guy like Flaherty, who, like I said, he's at 110 innings and he hasn't done anything ne- near that in four years. Yeah, I mean, the injuries have been an issue for him um, and have kept those innings down uh, mm-hmm. over the last few. Obviously, early in his career, you know, 
200 there almost in 19 and 150 and 18, but it has been a bit. And of course, 2020, everybody's in right, of course. Of course, but, um, but yeah, but he's been healthy all year, which is the first year in a while that he has been and hasn't really shown any signs of fatigue or anything of that nature. Like you said, some of his more recent starts are some of his better ones. So, I mean, there's going to be a couple of starts probably here and there, and maybe not because, you know, as a rental, you're only going to have him for the last, the next couple of months, but, you know, over a season, there's going to be two or three starts where things just blow up. But, you know, that's kind of kind of the way it is for, for most anybody that's not just a, a superstar. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, if you get Flaherty going and he's, you know, if he's rolling into the third, fourth, fifth inning, you know, he, he could keep going. It, it tends to me, it feels to me like if things go bad, they go bad early on him. All right. That's uh, something to keep an eye on, I guess. Yeah. That, which – Again, like you said, that's sort of par for the course for starting pitchers. You know, we're all sort of holding our breath every first inning to see if they're going to have it that <laughs> night, how long it's going to take them to get it together, and yeah. how far we're going to be behind by the time we get to hold the bats. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's what the, that's the old the old saying, right? Get them, get them early, because if they settle in, right. um, you're not going to. Um, and, that, and that's the case with Flaherty as well, as with everybody else. So yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm very interested, of course, you know, uh, to see how he does. He used to, I think that he said he used to wear a St. Louis Browns Jersey around in the clubhouse. So I guess he can continue to do that <laughs> um, over there, get that little tie together. And uh, yeah, we all, we're player. active on social media. Uh, big, big fan of the Joker. Uh, he's Ledger's Joker. Okay. Um, so uh, you'll see some of that. Um, but, uh, and he's a, an outspoken guy at times, but uh, more, more on social issues. I, I, he's not going to be a disruption in the clubhouse. I'm not trying to, that's what I'm trying to say. He's not going okay. to be anything like that. Uh, well-loved uh, Adam Wainwright mentored him. Uh, and honestly, he had, before Bob Gibson died, they had connections as well. So that's always good. You know, anytime you've been able to learn from Bob Gibson, I think it's a pretty good thing. Um, so I, I think he'll fit in pretty well over there. And, and we're all rooting for him to have a deep October run. Yeah. I mean, I think, Coming from an organization like St. Louis, I, I doubt Mike Elias or the front office, or certainly we as fans, have any worry about there being a um, culture problem. You know, mm. it's, yeah. <laughs> St. Louis is obviously, if you can get a guy that was a Cardinal, he knows how to play, he knows how to win, and he knows how to fit into a clubhouse just fine. You never hear anything bad coming from that side of, that side of town. Yeah, which is which is always always good to hear from other people too. So yeah, um, so okay, so then the the deal starts leaking out and and who's coming back to St. Louis and it starts with second baseman Cesar Preto. What what can you tell me about him because he looks like he's he's quite a hitter. Yeah, um, Prieto, I think the bat will definitely play. Um, he's the kind of guy. He was never going to have anywhere to play in Baltimore. The Orioles have. Mm-hmm. Uh, an embarrassment of riches as far as infield prospects go. There's Gunnar Henderson, who's graduated now, but he's obviously not going anywhere. Jordan Westberg, Colton Cal, or I'm, I'm sorry, um, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz. Those are the kind of guys that Orioles fans sort of thought might get dealt for a guy like Montgomery. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of surprising and disappointing that they're still here uh, just because there's not that many infield positions and 
a few of those guys are getting a little bit older to where they're they have nothing else to prove in AAA, and mm-hmm. their value might start to drop. And it probably would have been a good time to strike while the iron was hot. But Prieto, as good of a prospect as he is, he was never going to be one of those guys. And that's sort of because um, he's not really the best athlete as far as infielders go. He's a guy that I think is going to bounce around at different positions, sort of a utility guy. Um, He's played shortstop, but most scouts don't think that that's something that he has any future at. So sort of second base, third base. And I see no reason to not be, be excited about the bat. I think the bat will play. Well, good. I mean, and that's, it's interesting that the Cardinals, you know, cause obviously the Cardinals just needed to rebuild their minor league system in general. Um, but he sounds a lot like, you know, one of the players they got from Texas in the Montgomery deal, but also, you know, a little bit like the, the Tommy Edmond, the, the Brendan Donovan that they already have, which again, it's good to have these kind of players, but it is a little bit surprising that they went the middle infield route when they kind of have a little bit of glut there anyway, but a guy that can play those kind of positions is a valuable guy. Yeah. And honestly, I've seen the Edmund comparison. I haven't watched, um, honestly, either of them play enough to say firsthand, but it seems like the Cardinals feel like that's the kind of player that they know they can get uh, s- sort of maximum value out of. You know, yeah, put them in here yeah. and there. You know the bat is reliable. Off the bench, two, three starts a week. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Cesar Prieto ha- absolutely has a future as a utility infielder at the, yeah. major, at the major league level. And it'll be interesting, again, you know, we'll wait and see. The Cardinals are going to, they have to be pretty much active this winter as well. And that's a piece that may turn around and get traded off, even though they're not necessarily saying that right now. Um, But it may be that somebody else is is, uh, available because of having a guy like Preto. So um, we're interested to see him get started. Um, he's He's at AAA, is that right? Yes. Okay, I couldn't remember where they had assigned him to. So, um, yeah, that should be uh, a fun thing to do to watch at, at Memphis. So, uh, second piece was uh, left-handed pitcher Drew Rom. Uh, surface numbers, you know, the the real basic numbers don't necessarily look all that great, but it seems, what, what's, what can we say maybe underlying that? Yeah, so um, I guess the, the trade started to leak out and we saw... Prieto, all right, great, no problem. Rom, all right, that's fine. And then we haven't got the Showalter yet, but when Showalter's name came out, it was sort of, all right, that's that's quite enough. <laughs> kind of um, but Rom, Rom's interesting. He's a lefty. I think he could absolutely um, have a shot at the rotation next year. He was up with the Orioles for a cup of coffee earlier this year in the bullpen, but never got into a game. I don't believe, which was a bit disappointing because Orioles fans have sort of looked at his numbers. And like I said, we've been, not only are we desperate for innings now, but Mm -hmm. sort of always are. And Orioles fans are kind of um, shell shocked just from decades of not having enough pitching nor pitching prospects. So it's possible that we sort of built Rom up a little much in our own minds. Um, 
he's a guy that I think the velocity hasn't developed the way that they had sort of hoped. Um, he's still about 90, 92, 93. Um, but it seems to get better um, results at times than that would suggest. So maybe it's spin rate extension. I don't really know those yeah. fancy metrics on him. Um, he seems to me like if he had stuck around, he would have had a shot at the Orioles rotation um, next spring. And I don't see why the Cardinals couldn't. I don't know what your situation is currently, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him up sooner rather than later. Well, I mean, currently it's a mess is, okay. is what the Cardinals rotation okay. is. And, um, and uh, you know, going forward into next year, there's really only two starters under contract. And and then you get into people like Ron, people like uh, some of the some of the prospects that may be around. Um, although the Cardinals have said that they're going to be active, you know, free agent and trade wise rebuilding that. Um, but that's interesting because I get, I had, I guess I had not looked into him as much. I kind of thought he might be the guy that, that kind of rides the Memphis shuttle in the bullpen next year um, with options and with, uh, you know, that kind of availability and being left-handed that he might, uh, you know, spend a, a few weeks in the majors, back, back, back to my, Memphis when they need to kind of freshen up. Um, it will be interesting to see how they use him. Yeah, that could certainly be his ceiling. Um, but I just think he's a guy that sort of deserves the chance to be a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that might be my own biases of hoping, <laughs> hoping, <laughs> against, hoping against hope that the Orioles, right. the Orioles would develop a starting pitcher in my lifetime <laughs> since, since, since Mike Messina. I was going to say, Mike Messina is the, first, the one that came to my mind. Uh -huh. been and he's bit, basically so, uh... the last one. <laughs> Um, yeah, any, if any length of time, although I know the Cardinals had a, a former, uh, Oriole pitcher had Sidney Ponson for a little while. Oh, so. Sir Sidney. Yeah. The, the night Sir Sidney Ponson. Yeah. He was <laughs> the round mound of zone pound. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, he was, a. he did. I think he only got a, a year if I remember right in St. Louis, maybe at the end of his career, but, uh. Um, since you mentioned that just for a second, it reminded mm -hmm. me that I saw when I was looking up Flaherty that he actually agreed to change his number back when the Cardinals signed Matt Wieters. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Matt, Matt Wieters. Uh, man, I remember when Matt Wieters was coming up through Baltimore and, uh, was the next, next best thing to Chuck Norris. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Matt Wieters had a, you know, he was a, he had a solid year in St. Louis. I, I can't remember if he signed afterwards, but, uh. Yeah, there are those occasional connections between the two. It, it always makes good uh, immaculate grid. I was going to say we're practicing right? our immaculate grid, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that last piece then. Because, yeah, I uh, I honestly was um, traveling home from work right around the trade deadline. So I'd heard the first two names, and I assumed that was it. I mean, two two pieces for a rental seemed reasonable. And I get back, and somebody says something about a showalter, and I – honestly thought they were talking about buck right and i was really confused um but yeah this seems but zach showalter seems to be like maybe the i don't want to say the linchpin of this the deal but it really sounds like the most, the most intriguing part yeah i think he certainly has the potential to be that was i mean mm -hmm. that was the one that when it came out like i said i was like all right that's quite enough because he's a guy that we've been hearing about for a bit this year, um, impressing down in the Florida Complex League, uh, 
And then he just got caught up to low A and things seem to still be going pretty well. Um, but he's very young. I think he's 19. So it's a guy that, again, as Orioles fans who've been so conditioned to look toward the future, there's maybe a pang of regret <laughs> of giving away a 19-year-old pitcher. But like I said, he just got moved up to low A. So you figure he's at least two, probably three years away. Um, but I'm he's he's the one that I'm definitely going to be curious to watch as he moves up through the Cardinal system. You know, they have such a great reputation for developing these kind of guys, and I think he absolutely has absolutely has the potential to be the linchpin of this trade. Whether or not that works out is anybody's guess, of course, because arms are volatile. Right. But no such thing as a pitching prospect. <laughs> right. Um, he's been going three or four innings. He, uh, he throws 93, 94, 95, and seems to have the kind of mechanics that don't suggest injuries imminent. But again, knock on wood, as far as yeah. pitching prospects go, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx him just as we send him to you. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd be excited about Zach Showalter. Um, m- many of the Orioles fans on Twitter who get really into the prospects. Um, we're sad to see him go. Yeah. It seems like the Cardinals assigned him to the high a uh, Peoria. So they obviously see a lot there um, or at least want to want to see how it goes. You know, I, you know if it doesn't go, it gives them a, a fallback option to, to send them back down to low a, but um, yeah, this is the one that has gotten a lot of people buzzing, but you know, you're right. 19 year old at low A, you can dream on those kind of guys a lot, but you know, a lot of those guys don't always pan out either. So um, it is going to be kind of intriguing. I think that's the one that, you know, as, as you said, you're watching, we'll be watching too, just to see how that goes and how that translates as he moves up the ladder, you know, in a, you know, maybe next year, some point in time gets to double A um, see how that, that goes because it, you know, it goes well. Um, they're going to find a spot for him. Yeah. Um, we have a guy that writes for Utah Street Report that lives down in Florida right by the complex. And he's mm-hmm. he's, always, he's always there taking videos and stuff on Twitter. I'll share some of that with you. And then maybe you can share with your your listeners just to get a look at sure. the guy. Sounds great. Sounds yeah. great. I mean, any any clips and stuff uh, always, especially those low, you know, low levels, it's hard to get video at those sometimes. So um, we'd be glad to share all that. So, um. So overall, happy with the deal? Like you said, it was probably pushing it to, on, on what was being given away. But it, right now, I mean, it's hard to know because, I mean, obviously, you win a World Series, you're going to be very happy with it. But right now, thinking that's okay? Yeah, absolutely, of course. I don't want to give the impression that I think Michael I is overpaid. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, like I said, it's two guy, one guy that definitely had no future here and one guy that may have the ceiling of a bullpen guy, but the Orioles just drafted a whole handful of college pitchers. Mm-hmm. I think that's why they sort of saw Rom as expendable and a lottery ticket, which right. never have too many of in baseball, but I don't feel that there was an overpay. I think the Orioles, like I said, they absolutely need someone to eat these innings. And so they needed someone like Flaherty. Um, we're a bit disappointed because we wanted, like I said, someone like Montgomery. Yeah. Um, and, we see the teams around us all getting better and sort of lining up their October rotations already. And we're just, we're just trying to 
put things together with duct tape and glue and get through August and September. Right. And I right. think Flaherty can absolutely help with that, especially if we can get that 345 Babbitt down. Absolutely. I, mean, I have no doubt that you, that you will. Um, yeah, I get a bit. I have heard, I'd heard Montgomery and uh, I think Carlson maybe even like some sort of package deal that I kind of thought would probably happen. Um, so, but you know, they liked, I guess they liked Texas's package better or it just didn't work out. It's always, you know, sometimes we hear about what happened after the fact and a lot of times we don't, but it'd be nice to be a fly on the wall sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw someone else that the Cardinals traded last night. We saw, um, we saw Hicks for Toronto looking quite nasty. Uh, <laughs> that was one. We had our eyes on one, and the Blue Jays don't seem to be going anywhere. So that, that's not, uh, yeah. that's another one that well, would have been nice to have. Well, we sent like half of our team to, to Toronto. It felt like so between uh, Cabrera a couple of weeks ago, and then De Young and, and Hicks there at the deadline. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of eyes out there. But uh, yeah, yeah, Hicks would have been. Uh, Hicks would probably value anybody. I know he had a rough outing with uh, with Toronto. I think I don't know if his his first one or whatever, but um, he's a he's he's a good one as well. But I think we'll see. Hopefully, you, hopefully uh, he won't cause any problems for you uh, in, the, in the rest of the way. Yeah, so. let's hope not. And I, I haven't looked this morning. The last I saw is that Flaherty might be getting the nod tonight. So oh, excited cool. for that. Yeah, we'll definitely. Um, be able to watch that since uh, not blacked out or anything on MLB TV, so we can we can watch that one. So. What do I uh, what do I look for? How do I know if he's going to be on that night? I what's the what's the old saying? The back of the if you see the back of the outfielders, you know it's a bad day. <laughs> uh, you know that kind of thing. I think I like that you know if if I, I don't know, if, and I'm not I'm not the best one asking about that, but it feels to me like if he's you know if you give a, a couple of walks early on. Now, if he gets out of the first unscathed, even if you put some runners on, you're probably okay. Okay. But if he's just not necessarily throwing strikes, um, you could be in for something at some point in time. Um, but, you know, if he's if he looks sharp, then he's probably going to be sharp. All right. So, I, uh, yep. I'm looking forward to it. Well, so far. Derek, I appreciate you joining me. Um, and uh, tell people where we can find you. Yeah, sure. I'm at... Utah Street Report. Um, Cardinals fans might not know how to spell that. It's E U T A W S T Report on Twitter. Um, just a little bit of history. I was telling Dan, Utah Street is the street that runs in front of the warehouse at Camden Yards. So when players, um, left handed hitters, hit it over that scoreboard and then over like a little awning area with, with some picnic tables, that's called hitting it onto Utah Street. And any player, who does that gets a plaque with their name on it and with how far they hit it. There's actually one plaque on the warehouse itself. That's from Ken Griffey Jr. back in the mm -hmm. home run derby in 1993, last time the Orioles had the um, All-Star game in Baltimore. Yeah. So that's cool. And if you ever visit Baltimore and you're out there walking around wondering what's on the ground, that's what those are. So that's a fun little thing. So at Utah ST Report, utahstreetreport.com. Yep, give Derek a follow, especially as you know we're we're tracking uh, how Flaherty's doing out there. Give him a follow, and uh, you will not be disappointed. Derek, again, thanks for joining me, and uh, talk to you soon. All right, Dan, it's been fun, and I look forward to, like I said, watching those guys on the Cardinals as well. Alice Sand is second for one. The double play. What a double!
Welcome back, and now we have with us Tyler Zickel, who is the voice of the Vancouver Canadians, the single-A team for the Toronto Blue Jays. Tyler, thanks for joining me today. Daniel, great to be with you. Happy Friday as we talk on this August 4th, and exciting times across the baseball world. you got to love the post-trade deadline fallout and figuring out where everybody goes from here. Exactly. And they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, it's a little bit easier probably for the major league players because you, you kind of gotten to know them somehow. But when we're starting to bring in prospects, well, you know, especially from a different organization, we have no clue. So that's why I have you here. But before we get into Matt Sponson, I do want to talk to you as part of a single A team. Um, when you start hearing the trade deadline come in, are you kind of concerned that some of these guys may be being shipped out? I don't know if concerned would be the word, but it's certainly an awareness and it's something that all the players are very much present minded about because at the end of the day, this is a business and each guy is individually chasing that major league dream while at the same time pulling on the same side of the rope of whatever organization they might be playing for. So in our instance, the Toronto Blue Jays and the guys, especially in high A Vancouver this year, putting together a phenomenal season on the field where the team really enjoys playing together. I think this year, more than other years, the team was aware that as good as they've been, there was a very likely chance that a couple of them may get dealt at the deadline, especially with where the Blue Jays are in the standings. And so for a guy like Matt Sponson, for example, our finest late inning pitcher over the course of this 2023 season. So no surprise that he got dealt disappointing, of course, for the blue Jays to not be able to see Matt continue his process through their system, but he had just been promoted to double a out of us in Vancouver prior to the deal. So we kind of had said goodbye to him already. And then other guys potentially moving. Luckily, nobody got dealt. And so everybody who is with the team right now in high A Vancouver is going to stick around unless they get promoted to double A or triple A, at least as far as we know. But it is certainly something that comes into everybody's mind once you flip that calendar to July. You see where your parent club is. And in the case of the Blue Jays, they are very much in the chase for the wild card, an outside chance to win the AL East as well, thanks to the balanced schedule. So we had a feeling that moves were coming, and it just so happened uh, to be Matt Sponson in this instance in the deal for a, a shortstop. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's a lot more fun. I don't I don't want to say fun because you, you always want these guys to succeed, but I guess it's a little bit more fun to see them promoted within the organization so you know that they're, you know, kind of still on your side versus seeing them go off to parts unknown. Is it that I mean do you I mean as the voice of them, I assume you get to pretty good relationship with some of these guys. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite parts of the job. Of course, the on-field stuff and in the booth calling the games is what I got into the business for. But to be able to go through the course of a season and get to know these guys off the field, and they really do become your friends and co-workers, which is great. And I feel like I'm in a lucky position to be working for the Blue Jays in what is now my sixth season in the organization, my ninth season in minor league baseball. I spent three seasons in the Padres system prior to joining the Blue Jays. And so getting a chance to root for these guys as they matriculate. Of course, I'm rooting for all the Vancouver Canadians and wherever they might play after they leave Vancouver, I'm still going to be rooting for them, whether it's in the Blue Jays system or elsewhere. I used to work for the AA affiliate in New Hampshire and back in 2018, one of my three seasons there, the current Blue Jays manager, John Schneider, was the manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats. 
Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Jordan Romano, the electric closer, uh, and a couple of other big leaguers who are elsewhere, like John Birdie, who's now playing for the Miami Marlins, Harold Ramirez, who does quite well for the Tampa Bay Rays these days, all guys who came through New Hampshire that year and helped the Fisher Cats win the Eastern League Championship. I still root for a lot of those guys and certainly mm-hmm. am able to look back fondly on the time that we shared in the Blue Jays system. But, for example, John Birdie last year leading the major leagues in stolen bases. That felt good for me personally because that's a guy I got to know quite well when he was playing for the Fisher Cats. So more to your point, really enjoy getting to know these guys as individuals, watching them play as players. I have a small part in being a part of their journey, and I feel really lucky and grateful to be able to share a piece of their baseball life with them over the course of a summer. And then as they go on to higher levels, greener pastures, and eventually, we hope, to the major leagues, you'll find me at the top of the list of rooting for all those guys. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. You talk about the Fisher Cats. We had uh, Steve Goldberg on the show earlier this week because – Obviously, we we kind of rated Double uh, A. It seems like the, the uh, Cardinals did over this last <laughs> few days. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Matt Sponson. Then I know, like you said, he had just been promoted, but you spent a lot of time with him. What did you think of him as he was playing at Single A? The most noticeable thing about Matt is the way he goes about his business every day. Very serious while still being able to have a good time. Very focused. This is a guy who goes about his work with almost like a Yemen's mentality, really not afraid to get sweaty, get down and dirty. Uh, Comes from a family uh, in Hawthorne Woods, Illinois, about 40 miles north of Chicago that has gone to the same college for generations. They all went to Lehigh. He was the fourth member to go there. So he has an understanding of tradition and history, which I think is going to play very well in the Cardinals organization. Of course, St. Louis being one of the keystone parts of Major League Baseball for a long time and one of those historic franchises, in my opinion, up there with the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox. And so Matt certainly understands the history, the tradition, the expectation joining this new organization in St. Louis. But the way Matt would go out really just dialed in. I mean, he gets on that mound. As the, as the guys like to say, he is a dog. One of those guys who gets out there, takes the ball, and has this never-quit mentality, even when he doesn't have his best stuff. Once or twice, really, all season long, Matt, not showing his most electric stuff in the high-leverage innings that he was used in, uh, only one game out of 24 appearances where he walked three guys, and even then, he found a way to put up a zero. In fact, did so without any hits. Finished his tenure with the Canadians without allowing an earned run since late May, and his final outing with the Seas was July 25th, made a total of 24 appearances. His ERA was at 1.23 when he got promoted to AA a couple of days before the deal. And so a guy who certainly has what it takes to get those most important outs in those last innings, finished with six saves, which was tied for the fourth most in the Northwest League before he got promoted as well. So somebody that you can rely on to get those outs, to not let the moment get too big. He always stays even keel, has a great three-pitch mix of the fastball slider and a changeup, great life on that fastball as well, which is mid to upper 90s, and he's got the right body to continue to add velo as well. Six foot five, 235 pounds. He is a horse out there on the mound, and when 41 was coming in, we felt really good about the Canadians' chances to lock down the game, and a testament to Matt's success when Vancouver was leading after the eighth inning, 38 no this year, and that is certainly a testament in part to Matt Sponson's great effort as the closer. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. So, um, I, I looking at his stats, he showed up last year. Um, did you see any significant changes between oh, on the offseason? How, how did he progress over this last year? 
the biggest thing for me noticing with Matt's improvement, and he did start the year on the injured list in 2023 and then joined the Canadians uh, in early May after a couple of tune-up outings down with the single-A club in the Florida State League at the complex in Dunedin, Florida. He just seemed to have a lot more consistent command of his pitches, specifically the fastball. I remember when he came up last year, late July, in fact, right around the deadline, ironically enough, a year ago to make his high-A debut, couple of outings where that fastball might get away from him couldn't locate it quite the same way also an adjustment for all the guys coming up from the FSL where they got to use the automatic balls and strike system Mm -hmm. and so guys certainly having a little bit of an adjustment not being able to either challenge or be able to rely on that ABS system to correct the umpires when they don't get those borderline calls that probably should be strikes but when you have just the human element involved might be a ball so that was something that I noticed with Matt last year and then came out of the uh, spring training and out of the injury this year with that command of that fastball really improved which has led to a lot of his success and then his two secondary pitches had always been quite dastardly and to be able to now locate that fastball in any count say he gets behind two and oh okay I'm going to put a fastball middle out or I'm going to paint the bottom of the zone now it's two and one I can use my breaking stuff a little bit more effectively now that I'm in the count. And that was something that Matt did a lot more consistently this year. That sounds, sounds incredible. Um, and it's really, we're really looking forward to seeing him take them out. I don't think he's made an appearance yet for Springfield, but I'm sure that's coming probably this weekend. I, I was asking this about some of the other guys that, that the Cardinals acquired though, but what's his, what was his like uh, in the community? What was his you know, was a fan favorite type of thing like that. Matt was a guy who certainly was always out there after the end of the game, side autographs, more of a quiet guy. So not necessarily someone who's going to put himself out there in mm-hmm. that way, but just a very humble and well, you could tell he comes from a great family. I talked to him a couple of times about his upbringing. He has a lot of uh, great memories growing up in Illinois. And of course, making his way to Chicago, catching games, whether it's at Wrigley or on the South side to be able to, you know, continue to grow that love for the game. We didn't do a whole lot of stuff in the community up in Vancouver, out and about. Lots of the community comes to us. And so Matt was certainly always willing to participate in that regard. And a guy who also understands the power of the professional baseball player, the role that you have, the impact that you can make day in and day out. Never shy to stop and talk to the fans, whether he's heading out to the bullpen before the game, coming in from the bullpen after the game, and certainly somebody who understood the role that these players play, specifically in Vancouver, we've got a great thing going at Rogers Field at Nat Bailey Stadium. It's a historic 72-year-old park. Mm. Various iterations of the Canadians have been in the city for decades now, and we are very well attended as well. So, in fact, a lot of similarities between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Vancouver Canadians in terms of the city how much they love the team, the historic ballpark. We'll say the new Bush Stadium, not quite as historic as the old <laughs> Bush, but still lots of history uh, in, in that friendly confines. And then certainly in Vancouver, we've got a great fan base that supports our team, just like the Cardinals are well supported by many. will call them the best fans in baseball for those St. Louis Cardinals fans, including one of my best friends in life who's a huge Cardinals fan. And so uh, lots of similarities there. And Matt is going to fit right in with the Cardinals ethos, both on the field and off. I was about to say the Cardinals have done a fairly good job over the quite probably decades of acquiring players that not only are very talented but seem to have very high character. And it's from what I'm hearing from you is this that just continues here with Matt. 
That's exactly the case. And the other acquisitions that were made as well, Sam Robertson, Adam, Adam Klofenstein, mm-hmm. who I got to know over the last two seasons prior to this one, when they came through Vancouver, guys who really have their heads screwed on the right way and understand what they need to do more than just execute their pitches and get outs to be successful as a professional baseball player. Uh, Sam specifically as a really high IQ guy for such a young age. Matt Svonson, a little bit older, but has that similar high baseball IQ. And then Adam Klofenstein, somebody who had been on a bit of a journey with the Blue Jays. The numbers had been up and down, as I'm sure you've seen over the course of your research, but mm-hmm. finally coming into his own as a 22-year-old this year in AA and somebody who has taken his fair share of licks after getting that high prospect ranking as an early-round draft pick back in 2018 out of high school. So I think for Adam Klofenstein, he's had an opportunity now to go through it a little bit, and I think that has bred some more maturity in him. And from what I've been hearing from Double A New Hampshire, from Steve Goldberg, and from others, Adam has really taken leaps and bound steps forward in the off-the-field stuff to be a great asset for the Cardinals going forward. But for Matt Svonson, a guy you can rely on, you can lean on, you don't have to worry about him you know, stepping out of line or doing something that might be unbecoming of your organization. He is a guy who leads by example, leads with his play on the field, and leads with his actions off the field as well. It doesn't look like he's had much opportunity this year, especially to do this, but how has he bounced back from those very rare bad outings? Is, is, he a, is it that closer mentality of, hey, yesterday doesn't matter, I don't even remember it? Yeah, 100%. You know, he the roughest stretch for Matt Svonson was May 13th and May 18th, back-to-back outings, gave up two runs in the eighth outing on the 13th and gave up another run on the 18th five days later. After that, gave up a run and then continued to put up zeros. In fact, over those two and a half, three games, let's call it, in mid-May, that was really the last time we saw him get hit at all, putting up zeros all June. In fact, over uh, 11 and a third June innings, gave up just six hits over the course of what proved to be uh, this is nine outings for Svonson, scattering those hits all over, not a lot of walks, 13 strikeouts in that span, and then just continuing to put up zeros as we flip the calendar to July as well. Seven and two-thirds innings in July over six outings, three hits, eight strikeouts, four walks. And on the days where he didn't have his best command, like when he walked three guys on July 7th, well, he answered back a week later. Of course, there was the all-star break involved at that time. Uh, putting up a zero and then finished out his tenure with the Canadians over four scoreless innings as well. So not a guy whose feathers get ruffled very easily. And I think that's something that is a separator for pitchers who handle those high leverage innings, or at least are asked to handle those high leverage innings. You are going to fail. You and I both know this is a game of failure. We talk about it a lot. We get to experience it as fans and to see these guys who can navigate those certain outings where you're not going to have your best stuff and you're going to give up runs. You're going to give up hits. You're not going to be able to find the strike zone. It's the guys who can bounce back like Matt Svonson who are going to be able to move on and have success. And Matt has shown time in and time out. What he's got going on between the ears is plenty good enough to get him to the highest level. It sounds like he left some big shoes to fill uh, when he got promoted a couple days ago. Uh, how has how has the team adjusted to that? Yeah, it's been interesting. We had two high leverage arms early in the season. Connor Cook, who was our first closer of the year, he got promoted to New Hampshire in AA in May. And then Matt took over that role once Connor got promoted. And now that Swanson has been promoted and now traded, it's kind of a closer by committee 
here in high a vancouver right now yesterday we had justin kelly uh, who's done it all for us a guy who uh, is similar to matt sponson a college arm a little bit older not too old but a little bit older for the level and so really what it seems like is no matter who it might be the blue jays and specifically the vancouver canadians coaching staff led by brent lavallee as well as our pitching coach joel bonnet targeting guys who might not have like top of the radar gun type stuff, although Connor Cook and Matt Sponson do, but guys who are going to be able to locate their pitches, not blow guys away, but find ways to effectively use your stuff and keep an even keel. So as it stands right now, we've got a couple of guys in the mix who are handling those late innings for the Canadians, though the way the offense has been performing this year, not a whole lot of close games late. We've played in more games decided by four or more runs than any other type of game this season. So that's a testament to the offense in high A Vancouver. But when those saves are needed, there are a couple guys that are going to be asked to fill Matt's shoes and a couple of guys who may be coming up as well from single A Dunedin to fill those holes as well. Yeah, winning by four or more probably helps your blood pressure a little bit too, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it certainly does. And even now, even though the Canadians have clinched their postseason spot by winning the first half, I still find mm-hmm. myself on the edge of my seat when the game comes down to a run or two. You got the tying or winning run at the plate. We went into extra innings in a day game yesterday against the Diamondbacks affiliate mm-hmm. here in Hillsboro, Oregon. And so that was something that even though the Canadians are far and away the best team in this league and the Hillsboro hops are the worst, you still have to feel that blood pressure start to spike the palpitations of the heart start to pick up a little bit and that's how i know that i'm still loving what i'm doing because even (laughs) though that game yesterday specifically has no bearing on the standings you still want to go out and get the w especially a game that you led early so still feeling it even though the canadians are almost coasting to the postseason at this point well, hopefully that continues. Hopefully that uh, it's a very successful postseason for them as well. Tyler, appreciate you joining me and, and letting us know a little bit about this newest Cardinal. Absolutely, Daniel. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, certainly selfishly uh, disappointed that we're not going to get to watch Matt Sponson continue his rise to become a Blue Jay, as we talked about earlier in our conversation. But at the same time, he is going to be a huge asset, first for Springfield and then for Memphis, and then hopefully sooner rather than later for St. Louis. And it's a weird spot to be in. I'm sure you're feeling right now uh, the Cardinals not being sellers at the deadline for over a decade now, it seems like St. Louis just reloads from the minor league system, but an opportunity for the Cardinals with a you know disappointing season at the big league level to bring some new talent in and not just Matt Sponson, but Adam Kloffenstein and Sam Robertson as well. Years from now, we'll look back on this trade and say, wow, the Cardinals got three great pitchers. And I'm hoping that uh, St. Louis is able to continue the development for those three guys because I'm rooting for them as individuals. And I've got a little bit of Cardinal red in my heart as well. It was my first little <laughs> league team I ever played for. So yeah. I can root for St. Louis as well. And I'm certainly looking forward to those three guys making an impact at the new Bush stadium and beyond in the near future. The, the Toronto Cardinal uh, connection has, has been long and extended uh, you know, going back to, uh, I'm sure Peon, but I still remember Scott Rowland being trading up there in uh, 2007, obviously connections even before that. So uh, if you're going to have a national league team, that's a good one to have. If we're going to have an American league team can do worse than Toronto for sure. Yes. And we can say go birds and we can mean it for both teams at the same time. Exactly. Unless the Toronto's playing in the Orioles and then they get all <laughs> Yeah, that's, so. that's so true. Then we'll say go, go primary colors, Blue Jays and Cardinal Red. <laughs> That'll work. Tyler, appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll talk again sometime. Absolutely, Daniel. Cheers and thanks for having me. The swing and a long fly ball to left by Ozzie. He wouldn't. Would he? Oh! He 